Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Shaylin, for reading that for us. I don't know about you, but I said this in the first service. I'm starting to get uh, tired of the phrase, a winter weather event is on its way. Uh, I think we're all about done with winter, but it's cold outside, but it's warm in here with uh, worshiping our God and coming together. So I'm glad you're here with us this morning. So he sat on the plane thinking, I'm going to go back to my old job. He sat there feeling like a failure, feeling foolish. He's a motivational speaker and a writer, and he just got done at a huge conference. It was a big break in his career. And as he got into speaking, he realized it wasn't going that well. As most speakers and writers do, he kind of looked at his work in terms of a baseball analogy, and he said, I, I always like to hit it out of the park, but this was like a bunt foul. It didn't go well. He didn't connect. He didn't uh, do what he wanted to do, and he felt he did a poor job. So he got on the plane to fly back home, and as he sat there, he just was kind of wallowing in shame and, and started telling himself all these lies about how horrible of a person he is based off his performance, and in that moment, he saw these two people come on the plane. They walked towards past him, and he kind of recognized them and thought for sure they were at this conference, and they walked past, and as they got to where he was, the one said to the other, I'm glad we don't have to sit by him, and they walked to the back of the plane. He took that comment, and he started realizing that it was definitely time to give this up and do something different. Maybe I could go back to my old delivery job. Maybe I could, I knew that I was a fool for chasing this dream that God put in my heart. And so he began to write on a napkin all the things that he could possibly do. And then he began to write on a napkin the things that he should have said. And he just was in anguish through this whole flight. And they get, land back home, and he's getting off the plane trying to think what I'm going to do with my new life. And it hit him, I should probably go and apologize to those guys for what happened. And so as they were coming off the plane, he went up to them and just began to apologize. And they kind of had a confused look on their face and and all of a sudden he realized they weren't even at that conference. They were doing something different. He was believing a lie that caused destruction in his soul. Have you ever believed a lie that caused destruction in your soul? Have you ever believed a lie that caused shame, that caused guilt, that caused feelings that weren't really intended to be there? Or better yet, have you had a loved one in your life, someone you care about, maybe a family member or a friend, and you knew that they were believing a lie that was causing destruction, and there's everything inside you wanted to just go and fix that and change it so they would know the truth? Have you ever been there? That's where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote the letter that we're going to look at this morning. There's a group of people that he loved, a group of people that he cared about, a group of people that he spent time with, teaching them how to relate to God in a way that will bring them life. And they were turning away from that. They were believing a lie because a group of people came in and told them this lie, and they quickly left what Paul taught them and were believing this lie, and Paul knew it would be to their destruction. Not only would it destroy them kind of emotionally, mentally, but it destroyed them spiritually because there was eternity at stake, and if they believed the lie... They wouldn't receive all that God wanted to give them in terms of salvation and eternal life in heaven. And so he's motivated with this heart of passion to kind of say to this people, no, 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 you have to remember what I taught you. 
Don't believe the lie. Remember what I taught you in the first place. Don't so quickly go back to that. They're leading you down a wrong path. And as we look at this letter, we just see him throughout this letter screaming that at the top of his lungs. You see, he started this church telling them that this is how you follow God. And he laid it all out clearly. And then there's a group of people that came to this church in this little area called Galatia where Paul was. And then Paul left. And they came in shortly after Paul left and they started telling the people a lie. We're going to learn a lot about these people, Judaizers, as we go through this book of Galatia because they come up a lot. But what Paul was really upset about is the main thing that they were doing, these Judaizers, is they were saying it's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord like Paul taught. They said it's not enough just like what Paul was teaching you, they said. He was actually trying to just, he's a real kind of people pleaser kind of guy and he wanted you to like him, so he didn't tell you the whole story. He told you that all you have to do to follow Jesus Christ is repent of your sin, believe in what he said, and you can have a relationship with God, but actually there's a little bit more to it. You have to keep some of the Jewish traditions. You have to continue to follow some Jewish laws if you really want to do it. And he didn't tell you that part, but in order to be a Christian, you must become a little bit Jewish. See, that's what they were teaching them. And Paul is just beside himself because he knew it wasn't true. You see, this is a confusing time because before Jesus Christ, people were taught if you wanted to get close to God, you became Jewish and you followed the Jewish way of living. Jesus came into this context as a Jewish rabbi. That's how he came in. But then once he went to the cross and he died and he rose again, now he was starting a whole new thing apart from Judaism. He was starting a whole new thing called the way or Christianity where now the way you relate to God isn't by following a Jewish law or a Jewish custom or a Jewish religion. The way you relate to God is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by coming and repenting and saying, God, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn to you. And I believe with my whole life in who you are and what you did for me on the cross. And I receive what you did for me on the cross. And that's how you now relate to God. It's not through the old ways. And these people were confused because before we had to do these Jewish things. And now you're saying we don't. And so who's right? And do we do the Jewish things? Do we do a little bit of the Jewish things? Do we, not, do we don't do any of them? Do we go back? And there was this confusion at the time. And Paul was laying it out saying, no, no, you don't have to do any of that. It's all in Christ alone. And Paul decides that this is a hill to die on because it's eternal life or death. He says you have to know the truth because there's so many voices right now, the little church of Galatia, that are pulling you away from the truth about who God is and how much he loves you and how much he wants to relate to you. And they're bringing all this confusion. You know, it's not too much different from today, is it? You know, we are so quick to think that we have to relate to God by doing all these little performances or making sure our good outweighs our bad or making sure we have to pay God back somehow. Or when we go through a rough time, we think maybe God hates us or he's punishing us. And so now we have to do all these things to outweigh that. And we play this little game. See, we do the same exact things. It's still alive today. We think that Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, which we're going to get into a lot today, we think that wasn't enough. So we have to add and help that out in order for God to like us, in order for God to love us. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's a lie. 
So that begs the question, and the question is this. How do we stay faithful to the true gospel? How do we stay faithful to the true gospel? Maybe that word gospel is new to you. Gospel is just simply the act and the story of what God did for us. That Jesus Christ came to earth, went to a cross to die for our sins, that we can be accepted and brought into God's um, peace and God's grace and God's forgiveness. That's all the gospel is. Believing that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. So how do we stay faithful to this? You see, Paul's heart broke when he found out this group of people in Galatia left that basic truth that he taught them. He was shocked. He was astonished. And now we want to take a look at that. We're going to start a new series today through the book of Galatians that we're calling Free. And I'm really excited, and I believe that through this series that God's going to do something in our heart and hopefully rid all those things in us that say we have to do more than just receive. We have to pay God back somehow. You see, what's at stake is spiritual freedom. Christianity is all about being set free from the penalty of death and then living our lives for Christ. It's all about being set free from the penalty of our sins and death and being alive to Christ. When we don't ever, ever want to abandon what Jesus Christ did on the cross by thinking we have to do more than what he did to earn favor from God. So as we look at this letter this morning, we open up and see Paul's passion for these people. We're going to see two things. We're going to see his authority and why did he feel like he had the right to say this, and we're going to see his amazement, his authority and his amazement. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Galatians. If you're new to the Bible, it's about uh, towards the end, a little bit more than three-quarters of the way through. If you crack it, open the Bible, and you'll hit Romans, keep going to the right, you'll get 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you'll hit Galatians. If you hit Ephesians or Colossians or anything else, you've gone too far, go back. If you're using the Bible we have for you here in this room, I'll be on page 1031. 1031, but I encourage you to take a look at this as we go through. Who does Paul think he is? That's probably what these Judaizers were saying, and that's what the people who are getting this confusing message were saying. Who does he think he is? So I want to begin by looking at his authority. Look at the verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. See, he comes out saying that my authority to say this to you, my authority to declare truth doesn't come from a human being. No one appointed me as a human being and gave me this message to give to you from a human standpoint. The source of my message is from God and God alone. And the source of my authority is from God and God alone. You see, Paul was saying that he was sent by God to declare this message. That's why it is true. It's not true because of who Paul is as a human being. It's true because of who sent Paul. God the Father sent Paul, called him an apostle. The abort apostle means sent one, sent him with this message. But then he goes on to talk about that the center of Paul's message is not in a Jewish religion. The center of Paul's message is not in a Jewish behavior or a way that you should behave. The center of Paul's message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the center of the gospel centers on the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth. He died on the cross for you and me because he loved us that much. And then he rose from the dead. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of Christianity. It's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion out there. It's what makes it real. It's the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the foundation of Christianity. Paul said in another letter to another church, he said, I'll tell you how important this is. If you take away the resurrection, he said, the Christian faith is useless. That's how important this was to him. He said this was a hill to die on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of Christianity. And that was his authority. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Paul's doing here. And you need a little bit of background to figure this out because he's doing something really, really cool. He's taken two types of greetings. You see, it was a confusing time. These were people who were living in the Roman Empire under Roman rule. There's a lot of Greek uh, culture infused in their way of living. But they were also Jewish, trying to figure out how to connect with God. So they had this kind of Greek-Jewish thing going on. And Paul takes the greeting of both to identify with them, to tell them, I understand the confusion you're in. So he uses the Greek greeting of grace to you, which is a common way that people would greet each other in the Roman Empire. And then he also backs that up with the Jewish greeting of shalom, peace to you. And so in essence, what Paul is saying is this, which is really cool. He's saying the grace that you have always wanted and the peace you've always hoped for is in Jesus Christ alone. He's opening this up to say those longings in your heart, the thing in your soul, the grace you've always longed for. What is grace? Grace is the technical term is unmerited favor from God. Here's Dan's non-technical term. Grace means that God likes you and loves you just because. God loves you and likes you just because. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to make yourself better for God to love you and like you. God loves you and likes you just because. You see, that's grace. And what he's saying is all of us want that grace. We want to know that we're okay with God, that God really likes us. And he's saying, and he does that not because of anything you did, not because of anything you earned, just because of who God is. You see, God loves you and he likes you not because you're good, He loves you and he likes you because he's good. That's who he is. And so Paul's extending this greeting to him, that that grace you've always wanted, that's in Jesus. And then he's saying that peace, that peace you always wanted because you always feel like God is up here and you're down here and you never are able to make that mark. There's always this gap between what God wants and your behavior and you can never seem to hit it. And what Paul's saying is because of Jesus Christ, that gap has been erased. Because Jesus Christ lived the life that you couldn't live. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He paid for your sin. Now he takes his righteousness and gives that to you. So when you stand before God the Father as a Christian who's given your life to Jesus Christ, you stand not in your own righteousness, not in your own behavior, not in your own works, not in your own earnings, but you stand in the righteousness of who Jesus Christ is. And God the Father says, we have peace. This was the longing of their hearts. And he's saying, in Jesus Christ, you have the longing of your heart. Don't go anywhere else. Don't try to earn it. Don't be fooled by this stupid lie that says you have to earn your way to God by doing Jewish law, or you have to do all these little things to get to... No, 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 no. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone that you find the fact that God loves you and accepts you and empowers you. 
This is the gospel. Tim Keller has another beautiful way of sharing the gospel. It reminds me here. He says this. He says, you are more sinful than you ever dared to believe. And when you hear that, it's like, ah. You are more sinful than you ever dared to believe. And you are more loved than you ever dared to imagine. See, that's the gospel. The truth is, yes, we miss the mark. We sin. We're more sinful than we ever dare to believe. And we can't pull that part of it away. It's the truth. It's out there. But the beautiful thing is God saw us in that place, and he didn't end the story there. You know why he didn't end the story there? Because we are more loved than we ever dared to imagine. Because God the Father saw us in the state where our sin has separated from him and we're in that gap situation where he requires absolute holiness. He requires absolute perfection. To be with God in heaven, you must be absolutely perfect. That is the standard. But here's the deal. None of us as human beings can make that standard. And he saw that. And he saw this dilemma we were in that we were basically on our way to hell because he's a holy God and he has to punish sinful human beings to hell. He has to. If he just blew it off, he wouldn't be awesome. He wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be a true God. But so he saw us in this desperate state where we were more sinful than we could ever imagine, that we could ever believe. But yet he loved us so much. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, And on the cross, Jesus took that sinfulness more so than we ever believed, and he took it upon himself. And then he died for our sins that we could have peace with God. It's an amazing thing. And what Paul is saying to this group of people is do not lose that message. Do not add to it. Do not pollute it. Do not forget it. It's a hill to die on. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. See, he's saying it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about your works. It's not about the things you do. It's all about him. And he's using rescue language here because Jesus Christ rescued us. See, God saw us in that gap situation where we are sinful and he is holy and we're apart from him. And he said, you are in need of rescue. So out of the love for my heart for you, I'm sending the rescuer, Jesus Christ, and he's going to come and go to the cross and pay for your sin. And see, when he said this, the people he was talking to would know exactly what he was talking about because he's using rescue language and they were good Jewish people and they remembered that every year they celebrated something like this. They celebrated this rescue effort when Moses went and freed their ancestors out of slavery. He delivered them out of slavery. And he's painting that same idea. And he's saying, just as you believed and celebrate that, there's another deliverer who has come. And he's delivered you out of bondage. He's delivered you out of a slavery, but not a slavery that the Egyptian people put you in. This one, this deliverer, this Jesus, delivered you out of slavery from your sin. He delivered you out of the fact that you had to stand before a holy God and be punished for the sin that you committed, which is a serious place to be. You would have to be punished and sent to hell forever. And I saw you in that spot, but this one came to rescue you from that place because he stood in that place and he took the punishment. He was your substitute. 
So instead of the punishment for your sin going to you, now it's deflected upon Jesus Christ and who he is. Why would you want to add anything to that? You can't add anything to that. It's him and him alone that saves you. Not Jewish custom, not following the rules, not Jewish laws, not religious ceremony. Jesus Christ and him alone. This was Paul's gospel. And you see, you may say, what in the world does that have to do with us in 2019? Let me tell you something. We do this all the time. We say the way we relate to God has to do with our religious upbringing. Bringing. It has to do with the fact that we have to have some religious ritual like baptism, or we have to make sure we attend church, or we have to make sure we behave like Christians, or we have to make sure that we do all these things, because if we do that, that adds to God's favor, and then at some point, the good things we do will outweigh our bad, and God will accept us. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what it is. The gospel is not that. See, if you were like me, you were brought up in kind of a religious environment, a church environment that though the church tried to communicate the gospel the right way, and maybe they did, and maybe it was me, but it just came across different. Instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he loved me and he died on the cross and set me free from my sin to give me new life, see, the gospel message I heard from the church was, God is good, you're bad, try harder. God is good, you're bad, try harder. God is good, you're bad, try harder. And every service they come and you'd hear this message and then you'd leave and what was in your mind is God is good, you're bad, try harder. God is good, you're bad, try harder. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves you so much that he gave his only son. And when he comes into your life and you receive that and you let him in, he begins to transform you from the inside out so that you can live the way he wanted you to live. It's a whole different message than God is good, you're bad, try harder. He empowers us to live the way he wants. You see, the gospel is not follow Jesus and imitate his life because we can't totally imitate his life. The gospel is give your heart to Jesus and allow him to set you free. Give your heart to Jesus and allow him to set you free. The way you begin a relationship with God is you come before him as we sang and you say, God, I need you. Because I am broken, I'm more sinful than I ever dared to believe. And I'm far from you, and, and I, apart from you, I'm going to go straight to hell. I need your life in me. Will you come? And then you turn from your sin, and you turn to him, and you say, I want to follow you all my days. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you did with, for me on the cross. And it's not just this intellectual thought belief. It's a belief with your whole life and your whole being. That because you did that for me, I'm going to lay this out and I'm going to follow you. Now you may be saying, but wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to behave like Christians? Aren't we supposed to behave in holy ways? Absolutely, but we got to make sure we're doing it the right way and for the right reasons. We don't be behave in Christian ways to earn points from God. We can't do that. Here's how it works. We go before God. Like I said, we repent. We ask forgiveness. We invite him in. We begin this relationship with him. And then when we realize how loving and amazing and gracious and merciful he is, that he forgives us and he sets us free and he moves us in this place where we can have this relationship with God that's incredible, where he speaks life and love to our being, when we get to that and we realize that and we taste that, everything inside us said, why would I want to go back to my life of sin? Why would I want to go back and do those things that I was doing? 
God, you are so amazing, so loving, so kind, so merciful. I want to live for you. There's nothing else I would rather do than pour out my life and live for you. See, that's where holiness comes in. It's a gospel-empowered holiness. It's a holiness that's empowered by the fact that God loves me so much he sent his son to die for me. It's not a holiness that's empowered by I have to behave this way in order to make sure that God likes me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God is so full of love and mercy and grace and he forgives me and he sets me free. And when he sets me free, why would I want to ever go back and do anything that would be offensive to him? I'm going to live my life in holiness as I remember, as I dwell, as I think about how amazing and loving and merciful and kind and forgiving God the Father is. You see, that's a gospel-empowered holiness. We don't just act holy ways to earn favor from God. You can never do that. You can't earn enough favor. Your sin separated you so far. There's nothing you can do to make that up on your own. You need someone from outside of your life to make that up. You need someone divine and holy to make that up. You need someone who is perfect to make that up, and that was Jesus Christ. He's the only one. You can't do it on your own. You can't make a relationship with God happen apart from Jesus Christ. It won't work. You need someone to do it on your behalf. See, that's where holiness comes in. It's not something that we do to pay God back or earn his favor. Instead, it's that what that hymn said, that once we taste and see how amazing God is, there's a line in the hymn that says, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. See, God, when I taste a love like that, when I taste a love that sees me in a spot where I could do nothing to fix myself on my own to make myself presentable to you, and you saw me in that condition and the right thing for you to do, the fair thing for you to do is to send me to hell. And in that desperation, in that desperate place, you sent your son who was perfect to go to the cross on my behalf and become my sin so now that you and I can have a relationship that will last forever and that when I die, I can go to heaven as I've given my life to you. That's how loving you are. That's how gracious you are. That's how forgiving you are. Love that amazing, that divine demands my soul, my life, and my all. I'm going to give it all to you because of who you are. I'm going to give it all to you because of what you've done. See, that's the gospel Christian life. It's not, I hope my good outweighs my bad. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So that was Paul's authority, who he was in the gospel. Now let's look at his amazement. Paul was amazed at something, but it wasn't a good thing. He wasn't amazed at a good thing. Look at verses 6 to 7. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, I'm horrified. I'm astonished. I'm amazed. That word amazed there is the same word that's used in the New Testament when Jesus did this miracle called the feeding of the 5,000 where he took some fish and some bread 
And he all of a sudden it reproduced enough to feed 5,000 plus people. It just grew and grew and grew. And the people saw that. They saw the miracles of Jesus and they were amazed. It's that same exact word. But Paul's not using it in a good way. He's saying, I'm amazed just like that. But you know what I'm amazed at? I'm not amazed at some miracle. I'm amazed that you're blowing off this amazing good news. You're accepting what these people are telling you as a lie and it's going to ruin your life. And I'm amazed that you so quickly went there. He said, I'm amazed that you did that so soon after I told you the truth and so soon after you believed and you experienced that love of God in that powerful way, you were set free from the fact that you don't have to earn your way back to God, that it's a free gift in Christ and you believed that and you were growing in that and all of a sudden, boom, you changed and you believed what these people are saying. I'm horrified that you did that so quickly. See, the message to us is that when life is hard and we run to things other than Christ, it's not a good thing. We've got to go back to what the main message of how amazing this gospel is. They were turning from being saved out of simple grace and adding to this thing and living this out. They were believing that to be saved, it was a mix of this free grace from God, but also these things you got to do. You see, grace means I need to depend on God to meet my needs, especially when it comes to being in relationship with him. I need to depend on God to meet that need. Living by the law says I need to handle things myself, and I can get my way to God on my own, through my own holiness, through my own strength, through my own rule following, and nothing could be further from the truth. We can't get to heaven by following our own behavior apart from Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. We need something greater. Paul was saying in verse 7, the people who taught you this were teaching you a false gospel. They were taking this true, beautiful message called the gospel, and they were distorting it. They were changing it. And if you buy into that, it will destroy your soul. They added something to the simple gift that God gave. You see, when we begin to add something to the gospel, we begin to add something to what God did, essentially what we're saying is, Jesus Christ, what you did was not good enough. I need to add to it. And Paul's saying, that's a horrible thing. It's not even true. It's, there's nothing about that that you can do. These people telling the lie were saying that Jesus plus good behavior gets you into heaven. And Paul was saying, no, Jesus and Jesus alone gets you into heaven. Do you see the difference? It's all on Jesus. So how do I go to heaven? Be saturated with Jesus. Be obsessed with Jesus. Be absorbed into Jesus. Let Jesus be the one who guides you and leads you and becomes the Lord of your life. It's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not Jesus plus. It's him and him alone. This is freeing. Why would you go back into bondage? That's what Paul was figuring out. Why was Paul astonished? Why was he shocked? Why was he horrified? Because they were in slavery and in terms of their relationship with God, they were set free and they said, you know, no thanks, I'd rather take the slavery. Why would you do that? But you know what? We do it all the time in 2019. We say, I gotta act a certain way to be who God wants me to be. I have to make sure I'm doing this and make sure I'm doing that and make sure. And we turn our back on Jesus and Jesus alone. 
And Paul's speaking to us today. His words are speaking to us today through the Holy Spirit, saying, no, that's not the deal. And, and Paul's words for the people who are saying this Jesus plus behavior, it's harsh. Look at what he says to them in verses 8 to 9. He says, but, if, but even if we or an angel... So an angel comes from heaven and talks, right? That's pretty powerful stuff. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what I told you, it's all about Jesus, a curse beyond him. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse beyond him. You know what that word, that whole phrase means, a curse beyond him? It's pretty crazy. It's pretty tough. It's pretty in your face. What he's saying is if anyone comes to you, whether it's an angel or a human being, and they start telling you that it's Jesus plus your good behavior that gets to God, and that's how you get to heaven, if anyone comes and says that to you, they should be damned to hell. That's what he's saying. And he says it twice. If anyone tells you that the way you get to heaven is Jesus plus your good behavior or Jesus plus things that you must earn, they should be damned to hell for even saying that. That's how serious he is about this. He said, this is a hill to die on. He is so serious. There's a lot of debates in the church that aren't on essential matters, and we look at different things, but that's, this is not one of them. How you relate to God is essential. The gospel is important. It has to be a hill we die on. We can't add, change, or edit it. It has to come purely from what the gospel has taught us through God's word. So this is the test. If you get an idea or a teaching and you want to know, do you follow it? The test is this. Does this idea or, does this idea or thought, does it distort or alter or change the gospel of Jesus Christ? If it does, you reject it because it will attack the foundation of the Christian faith. The foundation of the Christian faith is, faith is the life, the work, and the resurrection of Jesus. Does this idea distort that? Does it distort what Jesus did? If so, you need to be very, very cautious and leave it. Your faith can rest in nothing else except Jesus Christ, him crucified, him rose from the dead. That's what your faith is resting in. Nothing else, not behavior, not religious tradition, not ceremony, not good outweighs bad, not all these things. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul's screaming this. Do you hear him this morning? Screaming it to you. I hope so. Then Paul wraps up by doing something else. Look at verse 10. For am I now trying to persuade people or am I trying to persuade God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, see, Paul admits that he's a recovering people pleaser, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul was aware that these Judaizers were telling this church they loved in Galatia that, you know, Paul didn't tell you the, the bad news. He just gave you the good news. Yeah, it's great to say it's Jesus and him alone and freedom. He didn't tell you all the rules you have to follow. You know why? Because he wants you to like him. And he gets his praise from people instead of, and for him to tell you the bad news, that would mean that you may not like it and he may risk rejection. He didn't want to do that, so he just gave you a little piece. And Paul knew what they were doing. And so Paul kind of takes that as brilliant and he twists it and he says, hey, let's talk about who's pleasing people here. He's like, the fact that you want to so quickly leave the truth and go to them, 
Could you be trying to please them instead of pleasing God? He's saying, I'm, then he takes it a step further. and He says, I, I know what people pleasing is like. I was there. But let me tell you something. If I was trying to please you, I wouldn't be doing this. He said, because I'm not a people pleaser. I am, what he says, a servant of Christ. That actual word there means slave of Christ. He said, if I was all about pleasing people and getting my praise and, and affirmation from people, I wouldn't be a slave to Jesus Christ. I'd find a new line of work. I wouldn't be doing this. God never wants us to add, change, or delete his amazing rescue of us, even if it's with good things. It's so amazing and wonderful, it stands on its own, and we have to always remember that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, not God is good, you're bad, try harder. January 15, 2002, in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, down south by the border of Illinois, there was a young lady who's a teenager who gave birth to a baby in her apartment, and her boyfriend, Gabriel Estrada, was there. And they were scared to death. They ran away from home about a year ago once they found out uh, that their parents would reject their relationship, and once they found out she was pregnant, they decided to stay in hiding. And in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, this little tiny apartment, she gave birth to this baby boy, and they were scared to death, and they had no idea what to do, and so she took the baby, and she gave it to her boyfriend, Gabriel, and she said, go and take this baby and bring it to a church, because we don't know what to do with this. And Gabriel grabbed the baby, and he got in the car, and he was driving around, he didn't know what to do, he, he didn't know if he could go to a church, and he was freaking out, and so he went to a park in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, he opened the door of a porta potty and he set the baby down on the floor of the porta potty shut the door, and ran for his life. The police said by all rights that baby was supposed to die because that porta potty was on a sledding hill, but there was no snow. So the sledding hill wasn't open. So no human being were going to come to that area. The contract for that porta potty wasn't due for another three weeks, so no one was going to come and service that for another three weeks. And inside, there's this baby on the floor of this porta potty that has no way to save itself. No way to take, get it out of the exposure, to uh, get it out of the elements, no way to give it food, no way to give it the basic essentials of life. The baby was supposed to die. About 11 hours later, a boy and his dad decide to go for a walk in a park. And they go walking past this porta potty and they hear this baby crying and they call 911 and the rescuers come and they take the baby to the hospital and the nurses name the baby William Grant because of the baby's will to live that survived that time and also that they wanted to remember not to take the precious gift of life for granted. You see, spiritually speaking, you and I are like that baby on the floor of a porta potty We have no hope to relate to God. We have no hope to get ourselves into heaven. We stand in that floor of that porta potty because of our sin and our brokenness and because we blew it when it comes to relating to God. And we are helpless in ourselves, and there's nothing good that we can do. We can't earn enough to get to heaven. We are helpless. And God saw us in that state, and you know what? Here's the thing. Contrary to the world says about God, he saw us in that state, and he wasn't moved with judgment. He was moved by love. And just as this father and dad found this baby in this porta potty God looked and he said, I'm going to send a rescuer. 
into their state where they are in a spot where they can't fix themselves, they can't save themselves, they're doomed to death, but one is gonna come and set them free and give them life. And Jesus Christ came to the earth. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he took our sin, and he died. But the story didn't end there. He rose from the dead. And even death itself couldn't hold him back. Even our sin couldn't hold him back. And now he gives us an amazing offer. If you want to be in right relationship with God and go to heaven when you die and experience his life now, all you have to do is two things. Repent and say, God, forgive me. I need you in my life. And believe and say, I believe you are the son of God and what you did for me on the cross. And it's not just an intellectual belief. It's a belief with all of your life that says, I want to follow you. That's all you have to do. And then you just receive that. In responding to this message, there's two things I think we got to talk about. First is why we have such a hard time receiving God's free gift. We have such a hard time receiving things, you know? And I don't know if it's because we heard this thing that it's better to give than receive, and we've over-applied that in so many other areas, and we think that, okay, there's this free gift that God gave me, but I still have to earn it somehow. Or think about God hit me in the back of the head with a spiritual two-by-four recently when, you know, I was in a spot of need. You know, we had, uh, my wife was really sick and it was just a tough time and people were coming saying, hey, we want help, we can do this and hey, we can do this. And I said, no, 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 we're fine. We're fine. I don't want to receive. You see, we do that a lot, don't we? Why, would, why do we reject help from people? You know what I think it is? I think it's because to say that you are in need admits that you don't have it all together. To say that you are in need admits that you need help. And we don't like being in that place where we need help. That's too vulnerable. That's too, like, less than what we should be as humans. So instead, we reject that, and we act like we have it all together. And so we say, you know what? I got this thing called Christianity. I can do, I can act like a Christian. I can make sure I get in. And God's saying, no, you don't even, you're, you're a baby in a porta potty waiting for someone to help you. You can't earn it. You just need to receive. And then when you receive, you see how good it is. You see how amazing God is. You see how amazing you, you, your heart gets touched, and then you get why the guy wrote the song and said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it opens up everything. You see, we have to get in that place where we receive fully from God what he wants to give us. To stiff arm God's gift by saying, I am too good, God, I can't receive that, is to our detriment and to our tragedy. We need to be people that fully receive. And to be honest, we need to be receiving from one another too as a mark of who we are, that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be broken, it's okay not to have it all together and say, I need help. So I think we need to be people to receive it. The other thing we need to do is since this gospel is so true and so good, we have to be people who share it with others. We share it by living it out in our lives. We also share it by telling people what God did that was so amazing. I don't know if you were here last week. I shared a story about when we went to North Point Community Church in Atlanta and this woman was baptized and her story just was absolutely amazing. She was caught up in human trafficking. She lived in Afghanistan. She was a Muslim. She was in a religion that said the way you get to heaven is earn, 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 do it all yourself. And she was caught up in that. 
And then she was shipped to Atlanta to fulfill her obligation in this sex trafficking thing. And this guy kept her in this apartment. And all of a sudden, these people who lived in the apartment across the hallway started to notice her because the guy had a new job. And all of a sudden, she had more freedom and she was getting out. And they started building a friendship with her. They talked to her. They found out her story. They found out what was going on. And then they got her a new job. And they helped her get away from this guy, and they got her a new apartment. And then each week they invited her to their life group where they gathered around, they opened the Bible, and they talked about the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ and how much he loves them. And then she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and then she's being baptized there on that stage in that church. And that whole life group was around her and just hugged her, and they all wept together that she was in bondage, and now she was set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. What would have happened if that great couple that went to North Point Church who lived across the hall from this woman saw her day after day and just kind of nodded and smiled and said hi and then they went into their apartment and they opened their Bible and they studied their Bible and prayed and that's all they did? What would happen? The tragedy that took place. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in the knowledge of Christianity and we want to puff ourselves up with knowledge to the point that we don't care that people are being destroyed spiritually. We have this amazing news about how amazing God is and how he forgives and saves us and sets us free and gives us a new life. And we have to be people who share this. We have to be willing to risk rejection. We have to be willing to risk looking like a fool. We have to be willing to risk, you know what, what if I say something to her and she says, no, you guys are weird, leave me alone. We have to be willing to risk that because people need to be set free. And God will meet us in that place of fear of rejection and he'll tell us it's okay. Just take my message and love her. Take my message and tell them what I did. Take my message and tell them how free it is. So if you get nothing from this this morning, if you get nothing out of anything I say this morning, grab this as we begin this new series. Let's be people who freely receive the gospel and freely share it. Let's be people who freely receive what God did and who freely share it. And let's be praying as we go through this book, this next series, that God removes from our heart all the things that stiff-arm that message. Let's pray for that now. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're not a God that saw us in this place of desperation and just casted us off, but you saw us in that place of desperation and your heart was moved by love and grace and mercy to save us. Lord, I pray that our foolish pride that would say we can't be vulnerable, we can't receive, will you just destroy that with your love? Will you destroy that with your grace? Will you destroy that with your goodness that we would be people who would fully receive you and all you have for us? And God, I pray that this gospel message and what you did would taste so amazingly good to our souls that it'd be nothing, we could do nothing to contain it but that we would share it with others in how we live and how we talk and how we act and what we say. 
God, I pray that you would begin a transforming work in us, that we would be, as Crossview Church family, a people who fully receive from you this gospel and fully share it. And I pray this all in desperation. In Jesus' name, amen.